Heavenly Father, we thank You for yet another time that You've given us to come and recharge our spiritual batteries. It's a beautiful day, but whether it's beautiful or ugly, it matters not. You are faithful in providing Your magnificent Word for us so that we can be more than just survivors, indeed overcomers, even in the devil's world. So we pray that You will help us to focus on the message this morning. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to start in Joshua again. We actually are in the Scriptures now. We had a while in the introduction. But turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is the first book after the Pentateuch, if that's a help for you to find it. But I assume if you don't know what the Pentateuch is, you can't find Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. You should have that underlined already because that is significant. That the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant. And so far, we've, we've already learned something here. Moses is called the servant of the Lord, but Joshua is called the servant of Moses. The servant of the Lord is a high honor. It's, you could even say it's a title. And Joshua has not earned it yet at the beginning of this book. He has not even crossed the river yet. But what we find is at the end of the book, after he was faithful, after he fulfilled his commission, then he was called the servant of the Lord. But Moses had already finished his commission. So verse 2 says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. So... In verse 2 is where we ended last time. And he informs that, he gets the information that Moses is dead. Now he gets a command. Now therefore arise and cross this Jordan. The word arise in the, in the Hebrew is kum, Q-U-M. And it means to... Uh, have preparation for something. You find that word in Judges chapter 7, verse 15. To be empowered or strengthened. To engage in war or a struggle. So it wasn't just it arise from a sitting position. It's mentally being prepared. Arise in your heart. Be ready to move out. And so right off the bat, we have God giving Joshua instructions mandate that he is to carry out. And then we have the phrase, cross this Jordan. Now, the word cross is abar, A-B-A-R in the Hebrew. And it's the cal active imperfect, uh, excuse me, imperative, which means it is a command. It means to cross over, to travel through. And this is the second command given in this verse. Now, the word this seems a little out of place, maybe, but it is an association with Jordan, and it suggests that the Lord wanted them to cross here. It is as if the Lord was saying, cross this Jordan, cross it here. And we haven't gotten to it yet, but the Jordan was not a stream. The Jordan was a river. And at this time, it was the flood season, and it had swelled way beyond its banks. So crossing the Jordan was no small task. You know, today we never think about crossing rivers. We have bridges everywhere. But in the not that long ago, if you were traveling and you had to cross any type of water, it was an ordeal. So they had no pontoons. They didn't have anything except the command, cross this Jordan, cross it here. And all the people were to cross with Joshua because the time to cross the river 
had finally come. And God promised to give the land to the descendants of Abraham. See, the only problem was that the, the land was already occupied. So we're going to see a lot about uh, the strength and the composure and the faith it took to cross a river that seemed to be impassable and to go into a land with people who were bigger than they were and seemed to be unconquerable. So these are tall orders. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, you can turn to that when we need to start limbering up our pages. Genesis 15, 18. Isn't it wonderful that we have a God that makes promises? A God that makes promises and it's impossible for Him to lie or be unfaithful? In Genesis 15, we have the Lord talking to Abram. Now, Abram was, Ab- was Abraham's name before it was changed to Abraham. So it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Now you might make a little note in your margin here. The date of this was circa uh, two, 2028 B.C. That's about when this was made. And we were, this is also referred to as the Abrahamic Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant. God gave this land to who? Abraham's descendants. Now when we flash, uh, flash forward to where we are in our text, uh, Joshua chapter 1 verse 2, and they're about to cross the river, we're going to see that this was about 700 years later. So God said that he gave the land to Abram and his descendants, but it wasn't for 700 years until the, the time was right. And when you get to Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, 700 years had passed from the time when God told Abram, I'm going to give you that land, and I'm going to give it to your descendants. It's called the promised land or the land of Canaan. It's known as Israel today. Now in Genesis 15:13. You're right there close by. You might as well drop down a few verses. We have another verse that's important. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Now you might insert there that land was known as Egypt. This is a prophecy. They would be in the land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. Of course, God knew that this was going to take place. He revealed it to Abram. Now, the reason that I'm giving you these verses and these dates is for you to realize that from the time that God gave Abram this promise and the time that the Jews were finally ready to cross the river and take the land. 700 years had passed and a lot had taken place. The Jews went into captivity. Actually, they were treated well by the first Pharaoh. He was uh, Joseph, was befriended by the Pharaoh, and they were you could say, uh, very close. However, after that Pharaoh died, the Jews kept enlarging their population to the point to where the Pharaoh was afraid of them. He was afraid there's more of them than us, and so he enslaved them for 400 years. Now, what happened during that 400 years was the Jews developed a slavery mentality. And God is now, after Moses took them out, actually the Lord took them out by Moses, out of captivity, 
they had to prepare to be owners to inherit the land and no longer think in a slave mentality because they were used to everybody just following orders and someone would take care of you. But now they had to have a sense of independence. They had to acquire a new responsibility that they did not have in captivity. And so it took some time for this to develop. And on the other side, as far as the land of Canaan, and you had all these different uh, peoples. You had the Hittites, the Parasites, the Ammonites, the Canaanites, all these different people who were heathen, and they were exceedingly degenerate. So during that 700 years, God gave them time, which is grace, for them to turn it around. They, during that 700-year period, could have recognized that there is someone that is greater than man that created the earth. The fact that they ignored the true God and worshipped the creation rather than the Creator is shown to be on their head. It's their responsibility in Romans chapter 1. says that they are without excuse because they can know the Creator from His creation. So God gave them all this time to turn it around, and they did not. And so when we get to verse 2, a lot has happened during that time frame. The Jews had to go into captivity as God had prophesied, and then He removed them from captivity, and then they had to go through 40 years in the Harnada, which means the desert, and they had to learn to fend for themselves and to trust the Lord. All these things were going on until the time was right and the heathens were ripe, so to speak. God waited until their iniquity was full. You find that in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16. God is fair. God loved those heathens just as He loved His own people. And He has a special plan for His people, the Jews, the Israelites. But He loved them also, so He gave them grace. So when you have someone that says, well, you know, what is this, all this in the Old Testament about God going in and saying, wipe them out, kill everything that believes, annihilate them. Is that truly a God of love? How can He be just to make those kind of claims? Well, He gave them every chance. And we are responsible for the decisions that we make because God gave us volition and holds us accountable as to how we use it. And so he waited until their iniquity had reached the zenith. And then it was time for him to take the people who he had prepared, as well as the leader who was Joshua. And he goes to him and he says, cross this river. You see how that was a big deal? You read Scripture and you see that, okay, well, they're supposed to cross the river. No, there's a lot that took place for that to happen. The iniquity of the Amorites and all, the, all these heathen people had to be at its height. The people of Israel, the Israelites, had to start thinking in a different manner than they did as they were slaves. So, Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. Every place on which... The sole of your foot treads I have given to you just as I spoke to Moses. Turn to Joshua chapter 16. Joshua chapter 16. What we're going to see here, I guess we'll just go to verse uh, verse 10. It gives us some details about the cities, but what I want you to realize is in verse 10. But they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer, so the Canaanites 
live in the midst of Ephraim to this day, and they became forced laborers. Now turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy is the last book in the Torah. The Torah is another term for the Pentateuch, the law. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 22. Deuteronomy 11:22. For if you are careful to keep all these commandments which I am commanding you to do, to do it, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and hold fast to Him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you every place on which the sole of your foot shall tread shall be yours your border shall be from the wilderness to the lebanon and from the river the river euphrates as far as to the western sea which would be the great sea so god had given them all these great promises told them to do what he says for them to do, and they were going to inherit the entire land. But as we're going to see, and as we saw when we went to um, Joshua 16, they did not dispossess all the nations. God had given the Israelites the land, but, but they would only possess the land that the sole of their feet tread on. Now that's interesting, I think. The land was theirs. When did God give the land to them? Back there in Genesis chapter 15, didn't it? He said, I'm giving you the land to your descendants. But now it's time to cross. And he's telling them that every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you just as I have spoken to Moses. So here's the thing. Every place that their feet would land on uh, they were going to possess but like i said earlier the only problem was somebody was already living there and they weren't just going to say well give us time to pack our things and we'll move out you can have all our fields you can have all our houses you can have all these things uh, that was not going to happen they weren't going to give it up without a fight so what did the joshua and the israelites need to do They needed to trust God and start walking, didn't they? Hmm? The land was theirs. God said, every place that your foot hits is yours. The only thing, there was a, a huge river and heathen people there that scare the daylights out of you. But God said, you have to... See, they had to do something. God could have just waved His hand like that and all the Canaanites, Gergesites, Parasites... Parasites... <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm going to do that more than once. Uh, he could have just waved his hand and they would all be gone. But no, he says, you have to, first of all, what do you have to do first? Trust him. And then you have to start walking. Isn't that what we have to do? They demonstrated their faith and acquired their inheritance by physically walking, covering the ground. That's how they acquired their inheritance. Now, we acquire our inheritance by walking also, but our walk isn't a physical walk. It's a spiritual walk. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Very short verse, but very important verse. Second Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. You all remember what I went over Thursday night? I believe it was Thursday night. Some people say seeing is believing. 
they don't believe anything unless they see it. And I said, what, what you need to do is somebody says that, invite them to grab hold of a hot wire. You know, like a, around the property, a hot wire. Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. Well, why not? Well, because there's electric, electricity in there. Well, how do you know? You don't see it. We don't, we don't, walking by faith means our whole manner of life is based upon trusting the Lord. Not upon our own devices, not on what we can figure out on our own. We walk by faith, trusting the Lord. And that's what the Israelites had to do. They had to start walking to cross the river. And then when they got on the other side, what was awaiting them? The promised land that was flowing with milk and honey and people who were ready to skin them alive, literally. Verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. So he's laying it out geographically what the boundaries were. So God had given it to them, but what did they have to do? They had to trust him and start walking to possess it. You know, <laughs> this reminds me of when I was about, I think I was about eight years old. My dad took me a deer hunting. And I was a city boy. I loved to get out in the country. And we went to this uh, guy. Uh, well, it wasn't a ranch. He had a shack out in the woods. And his name was Buell Sheridan. And he was a, a dipper and a smoker. But most of the time he dipped. And he had clothes on that I think well, I don't even know. Let me put it this way: I don't even know if he had a washing machine. And he, you know, he'd spit out the side of his mouth. He was a real old country boy, and I loved it. Oh, you know, it was old shack, and chickens were running around, and he had a pig over here. And I looked over here, and it was a big bull, big black bull. I said, "Man, that is some kind of bull." He said, "Yeah, he's he's pretty nice. All right, would you like to have him?" Yeah. He said, "Well, if you go sit on him, you can have him." Really? And he was about 50 yards away. And so I said, all right. And I started walking towards this bull. And he weighed about 1,800 pounds. And he was sitting on the ground. And so I was walking there and I was thinking, on the way that just wait till all my friends at school find out I have an 1,800-pound bull. Boy, this is going to be great. And I, that's what I was thinking when I first started. As I got there closer and he got bigger, I started thinking, I don't really need a bull all that bad. <laughs> I got about six feet from that bull. And he turned his head around and looked at me like that. And I just, I just froze. I have a picture of this, by the way. And I was going to bring it to you to show you. It's in black and white. You know, back in the dark ages, they didn't have color. So, um, And I was, as I was, I was thinking about telling you this, I thought, what, what were the guys thinking? I was an eight-year-old kid, and I got within six feet of an 1,800-pound bull. He was just—he was out in the pasture. He wasn't, you know, tied or anything. What? And I—I I would give anything to find out what would that guy have done if I'd have sat on that bull. I wonder if he'd have given me that bull. And if he did, what would I do with it? Or what would have happened if I got on that bull and he crushed me? I mean, anyway. The whole point of that is to show you that you have to have faith and you have to start walking and you have to keep walking. See, I, I stopped right at the edge of the river. I stopped right when that big old... I, his head must have weighed 300 pounds. And turned around and looked at me like a slobber coming out and I thought, oh... So it's very easy for us to sit in judgment of these people who did not inherit all the land. They didn't, or let me put it this way, they didn't possess all the land. We can sit on our high hearts and say, well, God told you. He gave you the promises. Uh, you were in Egypt. You saw the miracles. Well, 
I can't say that about those because those people all died in the desert, all but a few of them. But in the, in the desert they saw the miracles that God provided for them. And we can say, what, what pansies were they not to walk in there and take the promises of God? But what about us? We have promises too, don't we? God has given us tremendous spiritual assets so that we can possess wonderful blessings uh, both now and forever. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. You might learn something here if you don't know it. i got some good news for you. I don't. The Bible does. I'm just informing you about it. Ephesians chapter 1. And verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings, blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now I want you to underline, has blessed us. Has blessed us. When God created the earth, He created that promised land, the land of Canaan, to be a special place. And he said that he had given it to the Israelites, to his special people. All they had to do was possess it. Now here we are, and we're God's special people also. We are the royal family of God. And he has a special place for us also. And where it says spiritual blessings, underline spiritual blessings there. We do have spiritual blessings, but we also have what is called temporal blessings. These are blessings that we are able to receive here in the here and now, experientially, during time. Spiritual blessings mean they came they come from God in the heavenly places in Christ. What this means is just as God had given all that land that he described to the Israelites it was theirs. All they had to do was go in and possess it. He has given us tremendous blessings. We call them escrow blessings. You know what escrow is? If you ever bought a house, you always have to get some money and put it in escrow. It's just money that's set aside that's there until certain conditions are met, and then they release the money. Well, our spiritual assets, our blessings, are already there. They're in the heavenlies. I think of it as a... I don't know, it's actually some kind of uh, storage area. Boy, Brenham is loaded with storage areas, aren't they? You drive around Brenham, you see all these storage areas. And I'm thinking, well, maybe there's a storage area in heaven, and your name is on one of them. And if you could look inside and see all these blessings that God has for you, that He's, he's already, they're there. And he's designed them specifically and especially just for you. Because what, float my, what floats my boat won't necessarily float yours. Things that are beyond your wildest uh, imagination. And there are in these storage places in heaven. That's what he's talking about. Who has blessed us with heavenly blessings in heavenly places. In Christ. It's only for those who are, what? In Christ. And if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, it means you were baptized by the Holy Spirit, which means the Holy Spirit put you in union with Christ permanently so you're in Christ. So if you're a believer, you have all of these great assets and blessings in this storage place in heaven. It's there. But now the question is, how many do you possess? Do we really want to get on our high hearts? and criticize the Jews because they didn't possess all the land? When so many believers today don't even know that they have these blessings. They already exist. It's not that 
God is saying, okay, if you do this, that, and the other, you do all these things, and I'm going to create all these good things for you. No, they're already created. The question is now, do you possess them? Are you in the process of receiving them? There's a lot of blessings for the Israelites that they never received because they didn't possess their inheritance. The same thing goes for us in more of a a spiritual sense, but it's still the same. Do you believe that? Do you believe first uh, Ephesians 1.3? Is that not good news? And these ble- here's the thing. These blessings last not only during time. You can get, we call them super grace blessings. They're far superior to the list, logistical grace blessings that everybody gets. Superior. But what do you have to do to receive those blessings? You have to trust the Lord and start walking. You have to start putting one foot out in front of the other being obedient to God's Word, quit trusting on your own devices and watch what He will do for you. God gave Israel 300,000 square miles of land and most, the most they ever claimed was about 30,000 square miles. They gave them 300,000 square miles and they only claimed about 30,000. They didn't do too well, did they? They took possession of about one-tenth of what God had given them. And this, this came from uh, somebody that this is a... I got this from J. Vernon McGee through the Bible commentary. And he says that is about the same amount of spiritual possessions claimed by believers today. And I don't know if, if that's so accurate. I think it might be less than that. Most believers haven't even claimed or possessed even 10% of all the great things that God wants them to have. But the Jews, the Israelites, had to do something. They had to trust Him and start walking, and we have to do the same thing. We have to trust Him, and the walking part is being obedient. Verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. That is huge, is it not? What a great promise that Joshua received from God that no man would be able to stand before him. And God would be with Joshua just like he was with Moses. See, Joshua was around when they were in captivity in Egypt. He saw all the wonderful miracles. He saw a reluctant leader, Moses. Moses wouldn't even talk to Pharaoh when he first started being obedient and going and telling the Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. You remember when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush? He said, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to say so-and-so. Moses, oh, 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 now, wait a minute. Oh, oh you know, I kind of stammer. I, I'm not, I don't have the gift of gab. And I'm not, I, I really, no, I don't, you know, he, he was equivocating there. And God was very gracious, but very wise. He says, okay, you tell, I'm going to speak to you, and you speak to Aaron, and Aaron can speak to Pharaoh. And so Moses says, okay, well, I dodged that bullet. Well, what happened? He went to Pharaoh and he had he would tell Aaron and Aaron would tell Pharaoh and Moses got so tired of telling Aaron, no doubt he wasn't saying it the way he wanted to, he just told Aaron to step aside. And Moses started talking to him directly. So God gave Moses what he wanted and it turned out God knew that it wasn't going to work, that it was Moses was the man, not Aaron. But he graciously allowed him to use Aaron as a crutch for a while and finally, Moses couldn't take it anymore and just said, step aside. And so he, he used Moses. So, Joshua saw all these great things. He saw all the plagues. He saw all the miracles. He, he was at the Red Sea when the Israelites crossed. 
he was he alone went with Moses up Mount Sinai to get the law, the, the tablets of stone. He saw over and over and over again the wonderful faithfulness of God directed towards Moses. So when we read in our Bibles here in verse 5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. Now, can you see what a great encouragement that would be? Because he saw God's faithfulness all this time with Moses. And then he says, I will not fail you or forsake you. Let's look at that, I will not fail you or forsake you, just a minute. By the way, I would like for you to underline that part. I will not fail you or forsake you. How great is that promise? Is there anyone in the universe other than God that can make that promise and keep it? No. Only God can make that kind of promise. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, and you'll see a similar promise. See, some people think, well, that's fine. That was in the Old Testament, and that was given to special people. But it doesn't apply to us. Yes, it does. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter <clears throat> 13 verse 5. <clears throat> Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have, for he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I would like to carry that around in your soul all the time. <clears throat> we're going to get to this. Well, I don't think we're going to get to it today, but we're going to get to it very shortly. A technique, a mode of <clears throat> applying doctrine that we call faith rest. Faith rest means that God is your parent. And His grace is always sufficient. And you're not going to lack in anything. But where it says, being content with what you have, there's a lot of people that are having to adjust their lifestyles now, aren't they? The economy is in the, in the ditch. A lot of people have lost their jobs. No prospect in sight. However, their payments go on, don't they? House payment, car payments, insurance payments, all these type of things. What a great time to recognize that God will never desert you or He will never forsake you. But it doesn't mean that you're going to live at the same lifestyle that you always are accustomed, that you have been accustomed to. What does the Bible say that you should be content with? Anybody know? I know some of you know, but you wouldn't say. Yeah, well, if you have food to eat and clothes to wear, that's what you ought to be content with. You might not even have a bicycle. The Bible says be content if you have food and clothes. And they don't have to be designer clothes. Just rags. I love rags. My wife doesn't. She keeps trying to throw them out. But you put on an old t-shirt that's been washed about 50 times. It's very comfortable. And you don't have to worry about folding it and keeping it clean. You can crawl under the truck. Oh, this is you know rags. Well, of course, I know you ladies. <laughs> My point is that God is going to provide for what you need, but it not, might not be what you're accustomed to or what you would like. But that doesn't cut any ice with God. And let me tell you, when you're down to the point to where you're trying to survive, that is a great promise. You forget about the labels, and you're just thankful that God is providing. Joshua received four promises 
from the Lord in this verse. Number one, not, many, not any man will be able to stand before you. I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. That is four. Do the same promises that were given to Joshua in the Old Testament apply to us as well? Well, uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to have you turn here, but you might want to jot these verses down. Acts chapter 18, verse 9 through 10. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Is that not God protecting Paul from mankind, and no man would be able to stand before him? It's the same thing. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your character be free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he himself has said, and he said it in Joshua 1.5, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, verse 6, so that we can confidently say, and by the way, along with David, we can say it, of what he said in Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. Second Peter 1 Peter 1.4 He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. You know, some people think when you become a believer that automatically you have the divine nature, that you become a nice person, that your personality changes and all these things. Well, they ought to. But it takes time to learn how to execute the Christian way of life. You get a lot, you, tremendous assets. But you have to trust the Lord and start walking to possess them. This divine nature is in the subjunctive mood. It means it's only a potential. That means that God expects us to do what He required of the Israelites. Again, what? Trust God. Start walking. Accomplish it. The promises given to Joshua and the Israelites were designed to motivate them to act so they would receive an inheritance. Church-age believers have been given promises concerning an inheritance, which happens to be an eternal inheritance. Do you see the parallels here? Their inheritance was across the river. They had to act. They had to do things. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, we all inherit heaven in a positional sense. In other words, we're all going to inhabit heaven, but not all believers are going to inherit heaven. If you want to be an inheritor, if you want to possess the land, if you want to empty out that storage container in heaven with all of your escrow blessings, then you have to trust God and start walking. You have to do something. Isn't it something? God requires us to do something. And that is a newsflash for some. For some people, being a Christian is going to church on Sunday, listening to some pretty music, being around nice people. They smell good. It's a nice place. And that's it. If you ever said that, no, God actually requires something of you, and what you're going to miss out if you want to be a mediocre Dumb bunny believer. See, I cleaned myself up some from what I used to say. Don't want to be offensive. This time. We have to do something. God requires it of us. Do you know that Joshua and the people would never have possessed one inch of the promised land if they did not trust and start walking? And that's what I am challenging you with today from the Word of God. It's time for us to trust God and start walking. The, the walking part, well, as well as the trusting also, but is obedience. Part of the obedience is for us to assemble ourselves together and learn God's Word. God requires us of the time that He has graciously given us to grow up in grace and knowledge. That means He expects us to learn things. We have spiritual dynamics that are unique to the church age. We are in the church age. If you don't understand that, and if you don't know about this warehouse of super blessings, escrow blessings, 
that are waiting for you, if you'll just trust God and start walking, if you do that, it's amazing what will happen. People are so afraid. And that's why Joshua is so relevant to us. If this can't happen because God's Word is sufficient and He has the great system of perception whereby you can understand this whole realm. But if I could take us, this whole room, and put us in a time machine and walk back to them standing before that river, they couldn't even see the other side of the river, and it was raging. They didn't have life preservers. They didn't have pontoons. All they know is their God said, we'll see, I think it's in around verse 11, he says, we're going to have the Ark of the Covenant and the priests go before the people first and you're going to go into this river. Now do it. And they got ready. And they obeyed him and they started walking right into that river on dry ground. Most of the time, the big, the big issues and the demons that we fight are nothing but fluff. They cannot stand against God's promises. And we have to get to the point to where God's promises are more real to us than whatever is that, however big the river is or how big and ugly the people on the other side are. When I went to to high school, I played football in high school. And we were about an average size team. And sometimes we would travel and we would go to other places to play. And we would be in our regular clothes. We'd have our satchel and stuff carrying our uniform down to go get dressed into our uniforms to come out and play. And some, we would see the other team sometimes. And I can remember on more than one occasion we would be going into the dressing room and look over and the, at the other. You're always looking. You know, you girls know that. You're looking at your competition. You're always, well, guys do that too, but only we're looking. I was looking to see how big and how strong they looked. And there were some times that I would look over there and I would go, oh, oh. I was the biggest guy. Well, I was the second biggest guy on our team in high school. Of course, now they look like I wouldn't even probably be big enough to go out for football now. They look like pros. But anyhow, back then, I, I was one of the biggest guys. And we went, into, we went into some of these dressing rooms, and these guys were huge looking, and they'd have muscle shirts on. Some of them were beard. I wasn't even shaving yet. <laughs> they looked like they were, you know, pirates or something. Who are these guys? And I would go into the dressing room, and I would think, wow, we got to go out and play these guys. You know what would calm me down? When we got on the field, we warmed up and we got ready to start. I would always default, default back on the training I received. No matter how big they were. The training, what I was trained for, I was prepared and the rest of our team was prepared. And we forgot about who they were and just, just did what we were trained to do. Isn't that what Christians do? I mean, y'all have giants. Y'all have rivers to cross. But all we have to do is learn and grow and apply what we learn. See, that's the training. We're in training right now. But when we get out past these double doors into the real world, not that this isn't real, but I'm talking about it's different here than it is out there. The only thing, and you're going to see some things that are very scary. The thing that will get you through it is defaulting back to the doctrine you've learned and applying it. And when you apply that doctrine and you see the Lord's faithfulness, I've got goosebumps right now. Because when you see that, it changes everything. But the first thing you have to do is trust and start walking. I'd like everyone to please bow your heads.
there may be some people here who are not familiar with this spiritual information that I'm giving. They don't know this God that makes all these unconditional promises. They might not know His Son who went to the cross and died for their sins. Who rose from the, from the grave and offers eternal life to them simply by trusting in Him. It's all about faith. It's all about trust. And it all starts when you trust God and His provision of the Lord Jesus Christ and His atonement for you on the cross. That's when you're born again and you become a member of God's family. And He will take care of you through anything. He's given you great assets that we, we can't even imagine the great things that God has in that storage facility in heaven that He wants to give us a partial amount of it now. But the lion's share in eternity that lasts eternity. It's faith alone in Christ alone. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a child of God and you can do it right now in a moment of time Trusting in Christ and His work rather than your own good deeds in order to get to heaven. And then it's an issue of learning and growing and start walking. Walking by faith and not by sight. Father, we thank You for Your mighty Word and how it reaches deep into our soul. And it changes things. It motivates us and inspires us to learn your promises, to claim your promises, to trust and then walk. We'll be eternally grateful for this. This week, many of us will be gathered around families observing Thanksgiving. But our thanks should be every single day, every moment, for the provisions that you have provided for us and the ones that you have promised to provide. We pray all these things in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.